Chapter Twenty of Virgin Soil, Volume One by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Well, now, Parklin was the first to begin. We have been in the eighteenth century. Now lead the way full trot to the twentieth. Golushkin's such an advanced man that it wouldn't do to reckon him in the nineteenth. Why, do you know him? inquired Neshtanov. The earth is full of his glory and i said lead the way because i meant to come with you how's that why you don't know him do you get along did you know my pole parrots but you introduced us well and do you introduce me you can have no secrets from me and golushkin's an open heart you'll see he'll be delighted to see someone new and we don't stand on ceremony here in s yes muttered markelov people seem unceremonious here certainly Parklin shook his head. That's perhaps meant for me. So be it. I've deserved the reproach. But I say, my new acquaintance, defer for a time the gloomy reflections your bilious temperament inspires in you. And most of all... And you, sir, my new acquaintance, Markelov interrupted emphatically, let me tell you, by way of a word of warning, I never have the faintest taste for joking at any time. And especially not today. And what do you know about my temperament? It strikes me that we've not long... That it's the first time we've set eyes on each other. There, there, don't be cross and don't swear. I'll believe you without that, said Bucklin, and turning to Solomon. Oh, you, he exclaimed, you whom the keen-sighted Fimushka herself called a cool man, and there certainly is something refreshing about you. Say, had I the slightest intention of doing anything unpleasant to anyone, or of joking unseasonably? I only suggested going with you to Golushkin. And besides, I'm an inoffensive creature. It's not my fault that Mr. Markelov has a bilious complexion. Solomon shrugged up first one shoulder, then the other. It was a habit of his when he could not make up his mind at once what to answer. There's no mistake, he said at last. You couldn't give offence to anyone, Mr. Parklin, and you don't want to. And why shouldn't you go to Mr. Golushkin's? We shall, I should fancy, spend our time just as pleasantly there as at your cousin's, and just as profitably. Parklin shook his finger at him. Oh, I see there's malice in you too. But you're going to Golushkin's yourself, aren't you? To be sure I'm going. Today's a day lost anyway. Well then, en avant, marchant, to the twentieth century. To the twentieth century. Neshtanov, you're an advanced man. Lead the way. All right, come along. Only don't repeat the same jokes too often for fear of our thinking you're running out of your stock. There'll always be plenty at your service, retorted Parklin gaily, and he hurried, advancing, as he said, not by leaps and bounds, but by limps and bounds. An amusing chap, very, Solomon remarked as he walked behind him arm in arm with Neshtanov. If, which God forbid, they send us all to Siberia, there'll be someone to amuse us. Markelov walked in silence behind the rest. Meanwhile, in the house of the merchant Golushkin, every measure was being taken to provide a chic dinner. A fish soup, very greasy and very disagreeable, was concocted. Various pâté chauds and fricassés were prepared. Golushkin, as a man on the pinnacle of European culture, though an old believer, went in for French cookery, and had taken a cook from a club, where he had been discharged for dirtiness. And what was most important, several bottles of champagne had been got out and put in ice. The host himself met the young men with the awkward tricks peculiar to him, a hurried manner and much giggling. 
he was as parklin had predicted overjoyed to see him he inquired about him i suppose he's one of us and without waiting for an answer cried there of course he's bound to be then he told them that he had just come from that queer fish of a governor who was always worrying him on behalf of some deuce knows what benevolent institution and it was absolutely impossible to say whether golushkin was more pleased at having been received at the governor's or at having succeeded in abusing him in the presence of advanced young men then he introduced them to the proselyte he had promised and this proselyte turned out to be none other than the sleek sickly little man with the foxy face who had come in with a message in the morning and whom golushkin addressed as vasya his clerk he's not much of a talker golushkin declared pointing to him with all five fingers at once but devoted heart and soul to our cause vasya confined himself to bowing blushing blinking and smirking so effectually that again it was impossible to say whether he was a vulgar blockhead or a consummate knave and scoundrel but to dinner gentlemen to dinner after partaking freely of the preliminary appetizers on the sideboard they sat down to the table immediately after the soup golushkin ordered up the champagne in frozen flakes and lumps it dropped from the neck of the bottle into the glasses to our our enterprise cried golushkin with a wink and a nod in the direction of the servants as though to give them to understand that in the presence of outsiders they must be on their guard the proselyte Vasya still continued silent, and though he sat on the extreme edge of his chair and conducted himself in general with a servility utterly out of keeping with the convictions to which, in the words of his patron, he was devoted heart and soul, he drank away at the wine with desperate eagerness. The others, however, talked. That is to say, their host talked. And Parklin. Parklin especially. Neshtanov was inwardly fretting. Markelov was angry and indignant just as indignant though in a different way as that the subotchev's solomon was looking on observant parklin was enjoying himself with his smart speeches he greatly delighted golushkin who had not the faintest suspicion that the little lame chap kept whispering to neshtanov who was sitting beside him the cruelest remarks at his golushkin's expense he positively imagined that he was something of a simpleton who might be patronized and that was partly why he liked him had parklin been sitting next to him he would have poked him in the ribs with his finger or slapped him on the shoulder as it was he winked at him across the table and nodded his head in his direction but between him and neshtanov was seated first markelov like a storm cloud and then solomin however golushkin laughed convulsively at every word parklin uttered and even laughed on trust in advance slapping himself on the stomach and showing his bluish gums Parklin soon saw what was required of him and began abusing everything. It was a congenial task for him. Everything and everybody. Conservatives, liberals, officials, barristers, judges, landowners, district councils, local assemblies, Moscow and Petersburg. Yes, 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 put in Golushkin. To be sure, to be sure. Our mayor here, for instance, is a perfect ass, a hopeless noodle. I tell him one thing and another, but he doesn't understand a word he's just such another as our governor is your governor a fool inquired parklin i tell you he's an ass have you ever noticed does he grunt or snuffle what asked golushkin in some bewilderment why don't you know in russia our great civilians grunt and our great army men talk through their noses and it's only the very highest dignitaries who both grunt and snuffle at once golushkin roared with laughter till the tears ran down yes yes he stuttered he snuffles he's an army man 
oh you booby parklin was thinking to himself everything's rotten with us go where you will bawled golushkin a little later everything's rotten everything most honoured kapiton andreich parklin observed sympathetically he had just been whispering to neshtanov what makes him keep moving his arms about as if his coat were too tight in the armholes most honoured kapiton andreich trust me half measures are no use now half measures screamed golushkin suddenly ceasing to laugh and assuming a ferocious expression there's only one thing now to tear it all up from the roots vasya drink you dirty dog you drink and so i am drinking kapiton andreich responded the clerk emptying his glass down his throat golushkin too tossed off a glassful how is it he doesn't burst parklin whispered to neshtanov it's practice does it rejoined neshtanov but the clerk was not the only one who drank by degrees the wine affected them all neshtanov markelov even solomin gradually took part in the conversation at first in a sort of disdain in a sort of vexation with himself for not keeping up his character for doing nothing neshtanov began to maintain that the time had come to cease to play with mere words the time had come to act he even alluded to the bedrock having been reached and then without noticing that he was contradicting himself he began to ask them to point out what real existing elements they could rely on to declare that he couldn't see any no sympathy in society no understanding in the people he got no answer of course not because there was no answer to be given but that everyone was by now talking on his own account markelov kept up a monotonous insistent drone with his dull angry voice for all the world as if he were chopping cabbage remarked Paklin. precisely what he was talking of was not quite clear the word artillery could be distinguished in a momentary lull he was probably referring to the defects he had discovered in its organization germans and adjutants seemed also to be coming in for their share even Solomon observed that there were two ways of waiting, waiting and doing nothing, and waiting while pushing things forward. Progressives are no good to us, said Markelov gloomily. Progressives have hitherto worked from above, observed Solomon. We are going to try working from below. No use. Go to the devil. No use in it, Golushkin cut in furiously. We must act at once. At once. In fact, you want to jump out of the window? I'll jump out, clamoured Golushkin. I will. And so Vasya. If I tell him, he'll jump out. Eh, Vasya? You'd jump, wouldn't you? The clerk drank off a glass of champagne. Where you lead, Kapiton Andreich, there I follow. I shouldn't dare think twice about it. You'd better not. I'd twist you into a ram's horn. Before long, there followed what in the language of drunkards is known as a regular babel. A mighty clamour and uproar arose. Like the first flakes of snow swiftly whirling, crossing and recrossing in the still mild air of autumn, words began flying, tumbling, jostling against one another in the heated atmosphere of Golushkin's dining room. Words of all sorts. Progress, government, literature, the taxation question, the church question, the woman question, the law court question, classicism, realism, nihilism, communism, international, clerical, liberal, capital, administration, organization, association, and even crystallization it was just this uproar which seemed to rouse golushkin to enthusiasm the real gist of the matter seemed to consist in this for him he was triumphant here we are out of the way or i'll kill you kapiton golushkin's coming the clerk vasya at last reached such a point of tipsiness that he began snorting and talking to his plate and suddenly shouted like one possessed what the devil's the meaning of a pro-gymnasium 
Golushkin all at once got up, and throwing back his crimson face, in which an expression of coarse brutality and swagger was curiously mingled with the expression of another feeling, like a secret misgiving, even trepidation, he bawled, I will sacrifice another thousand. Vazia, out with it. To which Vazia responded in an undertone, He's going it. Paklin, pale and perspiring, for the last quarter of an hour he had vied with the clerk in drinking. Parklin, jumping up from his place and lifting both hands high above his head, cried brokenly, Sacrifice, he said, sacrifice. Oh, degradation of that sacred word. Sacrifice. No one dares to rise to thee. No one has the strength to fulfil the duties thou enjoinest. At least no one of us here present. And this lout, this vile money-bag, gloats over his swollen gains, scatters a handful of roubles and shouts of sacrifice, and asks for gratitude, expects a wreath of laurel, the mean scoundrel. Golushkin either did not hear, or did not understand what Parklin said, or possibly took his words for a joke, for he vociferated once more, Yes, a thousand roubles, Kapiton Andreich's word is sacred. He suddenly thrust his hand into his side pocket. Here it is, here's the cash. There, pocket it. And remember, Capiton. As soon as he reached a certain pitch of excitement, he used to talk of himself in the third person, like a little child. Neshtanov picked up the notes flung on the wine-stained cloth. Since there was nothing to stay for after this, and it was now late, they all got up, took their caps, and went away. In the open air they all felt giddy, especially Paklin. Well, where are we going now? he managed to articulate with some difficulty. I don't know where you're going, answered Solomon. I'm going home. To your factory? Yes. Now, in the middle of the night, on foot? What of it? There are neither wolves nor brigands here, and I'm quite well and able to walk. It's cooler walking at night. But I say, it's three miles. Well, what if it were four? Good-bye, my friends. Solomon buttoned up his coat, pulled his cap over his forehead, lighted a cigar, and set off with long strides up the street. And where are you going? said Paklin, turning to Neshtanov. I'm going to his place. He indicated Markelov, who was standing stock still, his arms folded across his breast. We have horses here and a carriage. Oh, that's capital. And I, my dear boy, am going to the oasis, to Fomushka and Fimushka. And do you know what I would say to you, my dear boy? There's madness there and madness here. Only that madness, the 18th century madness, is closer to the heart of Russia than the 20th century. Goodbye, gentlemen. I'm drunk. Don't be angry with me. Just let me say one thing. There's not a kinder and a better woman on earth than my sister, Snandulia. And you see what she is? A hunchback. And her name's Snandulia. That's how it always is in this world. Though it's quite right that should be her name. Do you know who Saint Snandulia was? A virtuous woman who visited the prisons and healed the wounds of the prisoners and the sick. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Alexei. Man to be pitied. And you call yourself an officer. Oh, misanthrope. Goodbye. He trailed away, limping and swaying from side to side towards the oasis, while Markelov and Neshtanov sought out the posting station where they had left their coach, ordered the horses to be put to, and half an hour later they were driving along the high road. End of chapter 20 End of Virgin Soil, Volume 1 by Ivan Turgenev Translated by Constance Garnett